six months. So while most of America is sliding into holiday season in Georgia, it's still runoff season. It's still election season. And with me today on Too Close to Call, I have Nabila Islam, which who is the first Muslim woman elected to the Georgia State Senate this November. And I believe you are also the youngest uh Person, woman elected to the Georgia State Senate? Youngest woman elected to the Georgia State Senate, yes, in Georgia's history. In Georgia's history. 32. Which isn't that young, by the way, but yes. <laughs> well, it's 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 young for me, but um well, congratulations on those two feats. Um did you think your race was gonna go to a runoff? I think you got I think I was looking this morning, 53% you got. Did, so did I didn't you... have a third candidate. Um, so it was just between me and my Republican opponent, Gotcha. Um, but we knew it was going to be close because, it, uh, it was a midterm year. Plus my seat was an open Senate seat, uh, because of the redistricting process. They had gerrymandered the only Asian woman, uh, Dr. Michelle Al out of the state Senate and created this new seat. And so folks didn't really know which way it would go during a midterm year. So it was it was the closest state Senate race in Georgia. Oh, really? Yes. But you didn't have the you weren't going to go to a runoff. No, because no, no. someone was going to get fi- over 50 percent because there wasn't. Yeah. a. OK, so that's the rule. If there's two candidates, it doesn't go. Or is it just do state Senate seats go to runoffs? You have to get over 50 percent. So I, if I had like a libertarian running. And they were able okay. to two percent, three percent, yeah. So it would have. There gone. wasn't a third party candidate, so that precluded that. Thank gotcha. Thankfully, there wasn't a third party candidate. Yeah, so. yeah. Or you'd be out in the campaign trail right now. Oh God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that we were able to clinch this win on election night. Yes. Uh, but ready to get to uh, back to work to make sure we reelect Senator Warnock for sure. So you are. Senator-elect Islam. Yes. How much discrimination did you face as a Muslim woman running in Georgia? So this is my second time running for office. Uh, I ran for Congress in uh, the 2020 cycle. And I and this was during the time that, you know, first when I first ran, Donald Trump was president. Right. And so there was a lot every time he would say something xenophobic, Islamophobic, you would see like the hate comments towards me just increase rapidly. I mean, I've been told to go back home. I've been told I'm a Muslim piece of SHIT. I mean, like people are, you know, they're very angry online. I call them keyboard warriors. Um, But uh, the second time that I ran for office, I feel like I did get some of that Islamophobia, but I also think I kind of normalized my candidacy over the past like three years. Uh, So folks got like used to who I was. but I, I mean, as a woman of color, as a Muslim woman, definitely probably uh, faced more discrimination than perhaps a white man would. So, um, you know, it's it's what doesn't it. I'm a resilient person. So I just like looked past it and just focused on my voters and the issues that they cared about and kept made sure to keep campaigning. You mentioned your unsuccessful run for Congress in 2020. What did you learn from that loss that you applied your state senate win sure uh well i would say that 
So I also ran during a pandemic <laughs> yes. um, and we definitely focused on field uh, this time around. So I didn't really get to knock on doors uh, because of the pandemic, um, because I wanted my staff and people to be safe. And uh, we made sure to knock on over like 20,000 doors in the course of um, my primary and my general election. My primary was the closest uh, primary in Georgia uh, on election night, I won by 77 votes. And I think that was a testament to the all the hard work my staff and volunteers did knocking on doors all across the district. This and is in your state Senate race this year. This is my state Senate race this year. So You won by 77 votes. 77 votes in my primary. So wow. I ran, it, it was for, it, so it's an open state Senate seat, but I was also running against a sitting state house representative. So um, yeah. So <laughs> that's said, an instance where, the knocking on the doors. I bet you remember every door you knocked on because the last been... 70 were the ones that put you over the top. You know, there's sometimes you're like, oh, I don't really want to go knock on doors. It's a Saturday. Maybe I'll skip and go Sunday. And I'm like, no, you just got to do it. I just look back. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, God, I just like knocked on every door as much as yeah. possible. So. Um, and then I read that you actually, so just going back for a second to 2020 after your loss, you started a pack to, I believe, turn out Muslim voters in the Georgia Senate runoff. Is that correct? Yes. So I had, I uh, worked with, uh, I started two organizations, actually. So I did a um, Muslim turnout uh, operation where we focused on turning out the 65,000 registered voter, Muslim voters in the state of Georgia. Um, and it was a, you know, we not only made sure we found the data to make sure we were targeting the right folks, we did digital ads, we did mailers, uh, we did a bill, we put up billboards with like, you know, Muslim faces um, in, in high density Muslim populations. It was, um, I would say one of the most um, intentional efforts to turn out the Muslim vote. And it was uh, very, it motivated a lot of people. Uh, and I was very proud of that work that we did. And then on top of that, we also ran a program where I live in Gwinnett County, which is the fourth most diverse county in America, where we targeted low propensity black and brown voters. And um, we knocked on 34,000 doors in two weeks. And 80% of the people that we contacted said that they would go vote. And it was amazing because these these folks are our voters, right? And so we they just didn't, they're not, no one typically reaches out to them. So instead of like trying to get Republicans and independents to come out and vote for us. I was like, we have the voters. They're here. We just got to do the extra effort to make them into from infrequent to frequent voters. So um, I'm very, I'm very proud of the work that we did in that Senate runoff. And you know, 65,000 registered Muslim voters in Georgia. Is that what you said? 65,000? Yes. It's probably gone up since 2020. So, right. So are they predominantly Democrats? Do we know? Do we have a partisan breakdown of of the sixty five thousand or more now that, that who are Muslim voters? So they're predominantly Democrats. I mean, we're not a monolith. Um, but that being said, uh, there was you know some incendiary comments from uh, you know David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler um, around the Muslim community because um, they can't help themselves. And so I we made sure to highlight um, some of the things that they were saying about immigration about how they would talk about voting rights. And, um, you know, I really wanted to make sure that our Muslim community knew that these U.S. senators were going to fight for us and the issues that we cared about. 
healthcare, education, voting rights. So we did we did a really good job. It appears that Georgia's political transformation in the past five to ten years have has really been fueled by the growth and the activism of the minority communities surrounding Atlanta. Is that do I have that right? Why do you think Georgia has become, you know, just a couple cycles ago, it was a pretty safe Republican state with Republicans in all the major offices. And now it's going to be a perpetual, I think, battleground, you know, for the next decade at least. And it seems like, you know, I mean, I obviously a lot of the media attention focused on Stacey Abrams efforts is down there to to register younger um, black voters, people of color. But there's there's so much diversity in in, I think, suburban Atlanta that I think gets overlooked. Is that the key to why Georgia is now a purple state perpetually? Yes. So I am a suburban voter. So when you talk about the suburbs, I bet you don't, people don't imagine me. <laughs> so, um, but Metro Atlanta is extremely diverse and uh, we have a, a large immigrant community. And so my parents, you know, they moved here from Bangladesh, you know, 35 to 40 years ago. And I'm, so I'm 32 years old and it's been, I would say a lot of my generation, the millennial generation has fueled uh, these uh, operations to get out the vote in our black and brown communities. Re- I mean, like, like it's kind of like just coming into age, right? So like first generation Americans that were, you know, the daughters and sons of hardworking immigrants are now putting in the work to make sure that we also have a seat at the table. Um, you know, if you go back three, four decades, your parents come to this country and they're like, keep your head down, you know, don't get involved in politics because they came from war-torn countries themselves. But now we want to make sure that we also have decision-making power and 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 not be bullied by the Republican Party, which has looked at our diversity as a challenge rather than an opportunity. And on top of that, I will also say is that Georgia has done a great job at, at taking a decentralized approach of um, when it comes to organizing. Instead of relying on candidates or the national party, you know there are several ethnic organizations that have uh, that are closer to the electorate. That are you know reaching out to voters, whether it's in their own language or knocking on like South Asian doors or you know reaching out to Black voters. Um, we're using unique messaging to reach out to voters and get them out to vote. And so that's why I think that Georgia has really come into play is because we've just shown a, we've we've taken ownership right over over our our, our neighborhoods and, and voters and making sure that you know they come out and vote. What happened with Stacey Abrams' campaign this cycle? I, I really wanted her to be my governor, and I was I was disappointed with the statewide results. And so um, I think that too often, uh, and we saw this in Texas as well, uh, where we folks tend to put all eggs in one basket when it comes to the top of the ticket. And I think maybe this is what uh, sort of happened this time around, is that we just relied on the top of the ticket to um, get out voters. So um, if you go back to 2020, when we flipped Georgia blue for Biden, there was a sense of urgency of we folks were worried that no one was going to go out, go out and vote for an old 75 year old white man. So we went into overdrive to make sure people went and voted and understood the consequences of not voting. Um, And I think maybe perhaps that's what happened. Like, 
the opposite happened here where we thought people would just turn out because, um, you know, Stacy had come up, was so close last time. And, uh, and I think also that decentralized approach wasn't as strong as it was in previous years. Um, and so moving forward, I think we have to take a closer look at how we target voters and reach out to them and we're, we, you know, and how, and how money flows through the democratic infrastructure to make sure that, you know, folks are getting the resources to actually reach out to voters. So obviously you do have the Senate runoff, which nationally doesn't have as big of an implication because Democrats have maintained control of the Senate regardless of this outcome. But it is still obviously a big, big race. And, you know, you, we just mentioned Stacey Abrams. There were a lot of Brian Kemp, Raphael Warnock voters. I mean, you just saw the breakdown in some of these counties and the gaps you'd you'd voters that were voting Republican governor and then a Democratic senator. Do you think they're coming back out on December 6th or before December 6th? Because you can there's a lot of opportunity to vote early in Georgia. Are they coming back out? And what's the evidence to 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 show that those Kemp Warnock voters are coming back out? What What's the motivation to do so? So what, what I will say is that, you know, Warnock got mo the most votes on election night, right? And uh, with that being said, the U.S. Senate election is the first, you know, thing that you see on the ballot. And 200,000 Republicans skipped that race and voted for Brian Kemp. And uh, I mean, that's a huge gap. Uh, I don't think those 200,000 people come out to vote for a runoff in December, those you know, Republicans. I also don't think that people that went to the polls and were like not crazy about Warnock, but voted, I'm mean, not Walker, sorry, weren't crazy about Walker, but voted for him because they were there to vote for Brian Kemp. I don't think those people come back out. What I So I've been knocking on doors for the past couple of days. And what I have noticed is not only, yes, people are motivated to vote for Warnock because they have that voting habit, right, from 2020 and 2021. Uh, and, but they're also the like the Herschel Walker is dangerous, right? And he's also an insult to the intelligence of Georgia voters, right? So even like, you know, you had Mitch McConnell say candidate quality matters. Um, folks know that Herschel Walker is just like, like a pathological liar. Um, he like half the time doesn't know what he's saying. And so we recognize that he's a danger to our democracy. We don't want him representing us. I would say that in of itself is a motivating factor for people to go out and vote because they think they're, they're, they're going to vote against Herschel Walker. So it's twofold. Not only are they inspired to vote for Warnock, but they also are voting against Herschel Walker. I don't think we have enough inspired Republicans to come back out during a runoff election. Isn't it wild to you that given all that, Walker got that close? Given everything you just yeah. laid out against him, I mean, he got pretty close to 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 getting more votes than Warnock, even with his deficiencies as a candidate. Yes. So I think, you know, having Brian Kemp on the ticket probably helped him. Uh, and I and Georgia is, you know, a pretty split 50 50 state. We saw that evidenced by the close 2020 presidential election, even with our 2020 wins. Uh, 2021 wins. And so, um, I mean, even though Democrats, you know, didn't win up and down the ballot statewide, we still, you know, Morak is still on a runoff. So 
I feel confident that, you know, given that the work that we've already put in the past couple of years, that Democratic voters are going to come back out. Um, but it does it does worry me that, folks, that as many folks did vote for Herschel Walker, but I'm confident um, that we will continue to see more knock in the Senate. You're on the doors. Are people just exhausted in Georgia? I mean, having gone through 2020 and 2021, and I mean, it's you know a ton of money on the air this year in 2022, and now they have to go another month. And you know, I would just think if you're a regular person that's not plugged into politics, you're just like go away, no matter which side you're on. Like, I want to be done with this. Are, do you, are you getting? Are you getting? the feeling that people are just exhausted with politics altogether there. I mean, voter fatigue is real. I'm going through voter fatigue. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I will say the silver lining here is that there are so many new voters that we've created since 2020 um, that have been able to create voting habits because of these frequent elections, right? And so uh, it has you you can you can see that there's a, a sense of pride in um, executing your civic duty to make sure your voices have, were heard. So I feel like there has been a, a reward for Georgia Democratic voters to keep coming out and voting because we see the consequences of our votes. And so even though, yes, we are fatigued, um, I think that we're, we've come we're, we're coming to a thresh, uh, a tipping point where folks are recognizing that, you know, they need to frequently vote in order for their their you know voices to have an impact. So I mean, I was knocking on when I was knocking on doors, people were just like, "Oh yeah, of course, you don't have to tell me twice. I'll be out there. I'm voting for Warnock." I had another guy that said, "I was so glad that I crossed party lines and voted for Warnock. I will be voting for him again." Um, and so, so you're hitting some Republican doors, or are you just hitting? Are you just hitting like Warnock Shore, Warnock voters, getting them back out? Isn't it just a turnout operation? You're not trying to convince people, right? You're, you're just. No. I'm not trying. No. So we're hitting Democratic doors. Um, I just had this one instance where I, I don't know why he was on my walk list. But when okay. I yeah, yeah. Door, he just he like, yeah, he's like, hey, I'm so glad I voted across party lines. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I'm glad too. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but I am hearing those comments and. Like I said, I think folks are just more motivated to vote, vote for Warnock than they are Herschel Walker. I want to wrap just on having the runoff and the question of whether continuing to have the runoff in Georgia is smart policy. Do you think the perpetual runoffs that have now become like Thanksgiving and Christmas in Georgia because the races are so close there, are they good for democracy to have this extra election and force the candidate to get to 50% plus one, or do you, as a legislator to be, think the state should look at scrapping the runoff and just holding the straight up election and whoever gets more votes wins? Well, I mean, the runoff historically was created to depress the black vote, right? And we, despite, you know, all these challenges over the years have started to overcome that, obviously. Um, but these runoff elections are extremely expensive. Um, yes. And, you know, like you, we mentioned, voter fatigue is real. Um, I would consider looking at something else that doesn't require us to spend hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> right after Election Day just to have another election a month later. Um, and I, I, I think it's an inefficient process. So uh, that, that is something that I will, you know, work with my colleagues on to look at or closer. 
Uh, with that being said, Republicans have the majority in uh, both House, the state Senate and the state House, and they want to control this process as much as they can. Um, we're seeing right now that we have one day, one Saturday to vote during early voting, right? And Republicans, so a judge said that we could have Saturday voting and Republicans just this morning uh, petitioned um, an emergency appeal uh, to block Saturday voting. So they are trying to control this process as much as possible to suppress Democrat Democratic votes. And so um, we're just going to have to battle it out next session and, you know, and also uh, make sure that and hold our Secretary of State uh, accountable. Uh, but as much as we can, um, I'm determined to expand access to the ballot and make things easier, easier for voters, not harder. But you don't think Republicans would want to scrap the runoff? I mean, especially if they lose this one, they, they will have gone 0 for 3 in the past two years. Is, or is there any, I guess, motivation on the Republican side of the aisle to get rid of the runoff? Or you, you think they want to keep the runoff? I would say, I would think that they would want to keep the runoff, but just make it harder with more restrictions on voting, like they did this time, where they're currently actively trying to block Saturday voting. Um, but because the runoff, because like you, like like we just talked about, this is going to be a turnout election, right? And so I think that they keep the runoff because historically it's been in their advantage because of turnout reasons. Um, but I think they just make it harder for people to vote. Um, and, you know, their folks and motivate their folks more to come out on Election Day. I think that if they had picked a different candidate instead of Herschel Walker, this would have been we could be seeing, you know, this might or not have been a runoff. But I. Yeah. You think if they if they picked a better candidate, you think Warnock was, was going to be in trouble? I think. Warnock, yeah, I think because like the libertarian candidate got like two percent. Right. I think that. If they had big picked a, a better candidate, um, we could have been um, a little bit more in trouble. But, you know, the voters picked who they chose and Donald Trump meddled in our elections. And here we are. And interestingly enough, uh, the Republican Party is doing their most to make sure that Donald Trump does not come to Georgia right now. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, I, and he's already he's he's pissed about it. I wonder if he will show up anyway. He does what he wants, but probably not. I wouldn't think. I mean, I know Obama will be there, but. I don't know if if Trump uh, will show up. I guess we will see. Uh, Nabila Islam is the first Muslim woman elected to the Georgia State Senate and the youngest woman or youngest person woman. woman elected to the Georgia State Senate. You will take office in January. Yes. And we will follow you then. Thank you for coming on Too Close to Call. Thank you for having me.